talking with our eternal rewards. Let me, let me point out, I, Bethany's got a friend, and y'all probably seen it on Facebook, Denver, had a transplant this week. What happened? He's through it, right? Praise God. We've been praying, a lot of the, all the churches around have been praying for this young man, and uh, God is doing work. He answers our prayers, and so uh, I, I just can't. It's hard for me to fathom sometimes that we get to be a part of what God's doing. All for His glory. All for His glory. These eternal rewards is not about so much, oh, well, I'm going to get this and you ain't going to get that. This is about Jesus Christ receiving glory. We learn about eternal life. It's a real life with a body that ain't going to go away. It's going to last forever. That's hard to wrap our minds around, ain't it? So we know we got eternal life. We know that he's keeping the books. He's keeping records. But I need you to understand. I want you to really get this part. It's giving him glory. There's going to be different glories for us in heaven, but it ain't about that. It's about the one who gave it. Okay? It's about the one who gave it. If we're doing these things now in this life, the place where we earn the rewards, what is it doing in return? It's giving God glory. All these things that we've discussed, it's giving God the glory. You witness to somebody, a family member, all because we're supposed to, right? And crowns will be given. We know we talked last week about our tears that we've shed. God's collecting them in the bottle because he's there. He knows everything about us. He knows everything we're dealing with. But we are to be overcomers. Now, I missed out on some things yesterday, but I got hanging out with God for a bit. And it ended up being an entire whole day. Family's gone, house is quiet, nobody needing this or that. Love them, don't get me wrong, don't, tell, don't, don't get me in trouble when they get back. But it was just, and so we're, we're going, this is going to take uh, two messages to do this. Because we're going to be, and you can just look ahead, be breeding now, and for next week, read Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, the two chapters. Because we're talking about the overcomers. The overcomers. You see, what we do in this life really does matter. It's being written down. It's being taken care of. It's being collected. And we're going to give an account of what we've done, whether it be a plus or whether it be a minus. We're going to stand before the Lord. Uh, I went down to Sunday school classes this morning, and Brother Ron, he told him, he says, here comes a preacher. <laughs> it don't matter about the preacher. God's always there. He's the one giving the rewards. I got no rewards to give to nobody. I can't do it. Don't have anything to give you. Nothing to compare to what heaven will do. So he's always there and he's taking our rewards, our, our what we do really does matter. And reward is only given to those who faithfully serve God. You can be saved. Now, I might throw a curve at theology this morning, but we're going to do what the Bible says. You can be saved and never do anything for God. That's right. It is true. Faith without works is dead. If you got faith, you're probably going to have works, but it's a choice. And can I tell you, when you start doing work for the Lord... There's a fellow on the other side that wants to keep you from doing it, called the devil. And he's got all of his little minions trying to keep us away. And so there will be people in heaven without reward. There will be people in heaven without honor. And there will be people in heaven without glory because they never did anything for the kingdom of God. And that's what these messages have been about this week.
The reason is, is because they've lived their whole life for themselves and not for the glory of God. I don't want to be one of those. How about you? I hope y'all have enjoyed this series. I've really, man, I've been fed with it, and I hope I've been able to get it across to you. But there's more to it than just us getting through this life and us, you know, asking Jesus into our hearts and then doing absolutely nothing with it. Sometimes we have the chance to pray for those that are sick or hurting simply because God says, I ain't hearing from you. And I let this happen because I need something more to happen. I don't know the answers to those questions. Don't we ask those kinds of questions? We're going to talk about that later on in the message this morning. We ask those kinds of questions. Why did this have to happen? There are specific rewards to the overcomers. How many of you know overcoming something is difficult? Right. It's difficult. Now, if you've been lived a life and you haven't had to overcome anything, then you don't understand what I'm talking about. But there's somebody that raised their hand this morning or somebody might have overcame something this very week. They understand it's hard. Maybe they've been fighting for years. And the Lord's been trying to work, but he never let them. They never let him work. And then being able to overcome and being able to stay overcome. It's a job because the enemy, he wants to trip us up. You know, we always hear, do you have the victory? That's what it's about. We're not talking about being saved. Do you have the victory or does something have the victory over you? You know what I'm talking about? The place where we go and that happens and then we all of a sudden feel guilty. And we condemn ourselves and the devil's doing his part to condemn us. And sometimes maybe we do our part to condemn those. But do you got the victory? Or does something else have the victory over you? And it could be anything. Anything that keeps you from serving God and giving him the glory. Revelation 2 and 1. I didn't give those guys a list this morning, so, boy, they quick. I don't need to give y'all a list, do it, man. You're on it. We're going to go through verse 7 because we're going to talk about these seven churches. Let me give you a little background real quick. These seven churches were in Asia Minor. So, I wish I had a map to put up, but everybody know where Israel is? In the Mediterranean Sea, and you got the boot of Italy comes down. Well, there's an isle called Patmos that sits between Asia Minor and Italy, and that was like a work camp. It's where they sent the bad guys or the people they didn't like. You didn't necessarily have to be a bad guy to go there. You just was against the you was against the uh, government. You was against the world, and so. John, the revelator, is there. Remember we talked about him last week as one of those. He was boiled in oil, and he didn't die. That's what he did for the Lord. He would not deny Christ, and they put him in a vat of oil and boiled him, but he didn't die. And so he's been exiled to the island of Patmos, and if you got in your Bible, you probably got some maps in there. And then you can see these churches that are listed around through there in Revelation 2 and 3. The first one is Ephesus. But if you'll notice that for those on that map, those cities, and go along with it in your Bible, they basically make a circle there. And what the Lord did is he gave him this revelation, the book of Revelation, and he sent it to these churches because they were close by. The word could get there. But also it was warning for these churches. Can I tell you, it says in every one of these, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so he's talking to all of them. And when you get the letter and you guys apply it, y'all make a copy of it or whatever, you send it to the next one. And so in that little circle of churches there, these letters were sent to them. Can I tell you that there's aspects that were going on inside of these churches that are going on today? God gave us word that's going to help us through of all eternity. His word always stands. 
So they didn't have telephones and they probably didn't know how to write, but they still had gossip. They didn't have the text or the Facebook, but they still had the same things. It's the same nature that's there. And God has given us what to do to overcome. These are things they had. Every church probably has a little bitty uh, inkling of this going on inside of it because he sent it to the angel of, which if you interpret that or translate it, he's talking about the pastors, the messengers. And so he put these letters out to each of them, and it was for all time. You can also take these churches and realize that they are a dispensation of time. So Ephesus would be the first all the way through to Laodicea would be church ages. And so what you and it's easy for us to look back in history to see some of these church ages that were going on. And so we're going to talk about that today a little bit too. And so these letters are there and it's given us a multifaceted thing, but we also know we're in the last church age, the Laodicean age. Where it's all about me. It's my world and you're in it and if you mess up my world, you've got to go. That's the one we're in. Self-righteousness and these kinds of things. We don't want you upsetting our apple cart. You upset your own, but don't upset mine. What's in it for me? I have need of nothing. That kind of attitude, that kind of mindset, and that is the last church age. And it's not just you can look at the United States of America, maybe in our own community, but it's happening around the world. It's the church age. And so... That's a little history on these. So Revelation 2 and 1 to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. Stop right there. You ain't had a thought yet in your life that God don't know about. What you overcame, what you gave in to, he knows all about it. He knows motives, he knows it all. That he's going to be the righteous judge, meaning his judgment is going to be right. As a matter of fact, when we stand before him, we're not going to have an argument. We're going to say, yeah, you're, you're right. You ever done that? Somebody catch you in something, you know? I know I did when I was a boy. Somebody catch you in something. And finally you're like, hey, you know what? Well, because they got all the facts. They know everything. So, yeah, you know, you're right. That's how it is with God. So I know your works, your labor, your patience and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. You mean to tell me there are people who say they're believers? Let me stop there. These books is for believers. This is not for sinners. This is for believers. He's talking about believers in churches that are overcoming. Needed to back that up. So I know your works, your labor, your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become worried. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, from where you have fallen. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember where you were, and now look where you've fallen to. That's what he said. Remember where you came from. Remember, therefore, from, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Wow, a lot of repenting going on in this church. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We're going to talk about that one on down in another book, but these are the only two places I think that it's mentioned. You can't find that word if you go to look it up. It's only in the Bible. And there's books written and people made money on those books, but it's all speculation. I'm going to give you Ken's theory. I'm not going to write a book and sell it to you. I'm just going to tell you and you can take it for what it is. But I ain't telling you now. We're going to cover that in a minute. He who has an ear, to, has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. 
So he has a couple things that's going on here. Number one, they need to remember where they've fallen from and to repent. He gave them two things, to repent and do the first works. The first works. Repentance, he told this people to repent. So can I tell you, repentance is not a one-time deal. It's every day. Sometimes it's a billion times a day, depending on the day you're having. But he told them, unless you repent, I'm going to remove this lampstand. I'm going to remove this light. I'm going to remove from you what you have had. Repent. What is repentance? Turn around and go the other way or change the attitude, the way you see things. When somebody gets saved, you see something that changes in them. They don't look the same, meaning they're not acting the same. They're not talking the same. Something's going on in them, and that is what repentance is. Repentance isn't coming to the altar and asking God for forgiveness. Repentance is turning away and saying, I'm not walking there. That's a part of what overcoming is. We choose to do or not to do. We choose to allow the flesh to rule or not. I could ask you all to raise your hands now, and that could be something from heaven that says you can give God glory. You can choose to do it or not. We might fall out over that one. But if I said, let's all go up and take a high dive off of the top of this church head first, ain't none of us going to do it because we're smart enough to know that ain't going to work. Unless, of course, God catches us, but do we trust him? No, it has to be his will. We get into the big theological discussions. But he's keeping it simple here. Repent. You see, Last assembly, we changed our look on what sanctification was. It used to be that it, you come to the altar one time, got it all, and it was done. But sanctification goes on every day. Sanctification is growing every day. It's learning more of the Word. It's letting the Spirit take us places. It's, it's dealing with things that we deal with that is teaching us lessons, and the Lord is sanctifying us. He is continuing to... Take out the dirt and put in the clean. Take out the dirt and put in the clean. It is not a one-time shot, done, we're good to go. Because if that's the case, there are many people that have never been sanctified. They had some kind of moment, but the very minute they told a half-truth, the very minute they talked about Bob on the telephone, that's proof sanctification was not that one-time deal and done. I got one amen out of that. And I'm not preaching for amens, but that is where it is. Because somewhere we can, uh, it's the washing of the word. We've got to be in the word. We've got to be there and receiving what God has given us. You know, as we grow, we change, right? I don't look like I did in high school. And you don't either. Jason, you've just been out of here. You don't look the same, son. You've changed. I don't look the same. There's a change that goes on. Same thing with my mind. My mind ain't where it used to be. I got saved one day, and that changed a whole lot. But since I've got saved, there's been more changes that's happening. So our minds can always use a little bit of changing. Our minds can always use a little bit of growing. My attitude can always use just a little bit of improvement. Now, I may not use the language that I used to use, but the edges can still be there, so my language can use a little bit of dressing up. That tells me sanctification is an ongoing process. If you don't get that, something's going on because sanctification is going to happen till the day you die. The day you check out here, then it's done. What wasn't completed will be done in Christ Jesus. So, he told them to repent. So, it's a continual process. Then he says the first works. What are the first works? I remember when I got saved over here several years ago. I had to tell everybody that I knew I got saved. And every time I learned something new... I had to tell everybody I knew they needed to know this. And man, I lost some people that way because I was zealous but didn't have no brain. But it's talking about evangelism. 
the first works, when you first get saved, you're letting everybody know, I got Jesus. Jesus is in my heart. I'm a changed man. My life is different now. But as we go on through this life and when we start looking at government stuff and we start looking at all this stuff, we get sidetracked and the next thing you know, we're just trying to hang on. We ain't wanting to evangelize anymore. We don't want to reach out. What's it going to cost me to reach out? You see what I'm talking about? But the day you got saved, you'd give up your whole house, your car, and two of your kids to go tell somebody about Jesus if you needed to because I'm sold out to Jesus. He's first in everything. And he said, you need to go back and do your first works over again. You need to get hungry again for Jesus. You need to get hungry again for the Word of God and to reaching those lost souls. You need to get hungry again to be able to, to help those that are down in a low place in their life that need to be lifted up. That's what we need to get hungry again for. And that's what he's talking about. Your first works. These people had a lack of it. You mean to tell me these folks were just this far out like less than 100 years from when Jesus walked this earth and already they had already grown cold? Something had happened? They had lost their first love? Yes. And if it was that way then, it's happening today. This is for you and me to apply to ourselves. And he says, to him that overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. Wow. In the Garden of Eden, you had the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you had the tree of life. But, I didn't know this until I was reading it yesterday, it ain't one tree. And we're going to read the Bible just to prove it. I'm not going to say anything that's not there. It's not a theory. I didn't know it until I read it yesterday, so I may be jumping off of the reservation here for Kogop. I don't know, but this is what the Word says. Revelation 22 and 2. It's kind of like this. I've got trees down on my property, and there's different kinds of trees on my property. There's different kinds of oak trees on my property, different species. It's kind of like that. You got an apple tree, you got a pear tree, you got an orange tree, got all kinds of trees. But let's read this. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits. Each tree. What in the world's going on with that? Each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. We're going to be in heaven and we're worried about nations. I think we're talking about the millennial reign with Christ. You remember we're coming back for a thousand years. We're raptured up. We're going to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The coronation ceremony is going to happen. We're going to receive our rewards. Then we're coming back to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Rule and reign, and he's going to rule what? With iron? Oh, he's going to be hard? What? Something's going to be happening here, and these trees is going to be some fruit. I don't know what the fruit is. The Bible don't tell us, or I didn't study it out that far, so maybe you do. But maybe, have you ever known somebody that's got saved, but they never did receive the fruit of love? You ever know somebody that's got saved and they don't have the fruit of peace? I mean, we're living in the 21st century, folks. Everything is always about a debate. I don't care if you're going to walk over there and uh, turn that light off. We're going to discuss 40 ways on how to cut it off and who should do it. Because we just want to talk. We just want to hear ourselves, want to hear our brains rattle around. But these fruits is what we're going to be receiving that's going to be going into our glorified bodies that's going to keep us fed to be who we are, the very things we're receiving now. So that is what this tree is about. If you overcome, I'm going to give you to eat of this fruit. Now you might be one that's going to have a different glory than somebody else. You might come down and be the king of a nation. 
And those leaves on these trees is going to be to bring healing to these nations. I don't have it all figured out, but he's telling us what we're going to receive and to overcome. This is something we shoot for. Why? Because Jesus receives the glory. And I've got to talk faster than I am. That is what he's talking about. Each of these trees, you're going to be given to eat of the, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, the tree of life. Now go to Revelation 2 and 8. We're going to read for the next church, the church of Smyrna. To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these, say, these things say the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works. There we go again. God knows what's happening. Can't fool him. Tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. Poverty, but you are rich. Poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. They say that they're the believers. They say that they are the believers, but he says they're not. They're actually a place that Satan dwells, a synagogue, a place where his presence is. That's what he's talking about. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Suffer? I thought we was done with the suffering in this life. Apparently not. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and I will have tri- and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, folks, this is hard for me to wrap my mind around, and I think I've grasped something. I hope, I pray, I pray, Lord, help me to get it across so that it makes some kind of sense to us. But go to Revelation 20 and 14. This is where the great white throne judgment is. It says here, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now, we live this life that we have. We have these bodies, and these bodies grow old, and they hurt, and they break down. Some have more pain than others. Some have been surgery after surgery after surgery. Their entire lives, it seems like, they can never get better, and they hurt. Sometimes we hurt in our spirit when somebody says something or does something. We hurt. And he's saying these is who he's talking to. He says that you're going to suffer, but if you'll stay faithful unto death, you will not hurt in the second death. I don't know. Maybe this is when we end the millennial reign, there's going to be some pain. I don't know. If Christ is ruling with a rod of iron, there might be a little pain to go around. But he's saying if you have endured everything that you faced, everything that has hurt you, Physically, spiritually, mentally, if you will just endure until the end and overcome, when you get done in this life, you ain't never hurting again. That's what he's talking about. I don't understand all of it, but we're going to talk about that too. And boy, I really got to talk fast. Have you ever felt like quitting? Yeah. Yeah. Some people do. I thought about it, usually on Mondays. I can stand at this back door and I can say, that was a great message, and I can get some mean looks, and I can get, I didn't agree with that. Either one, all three, every Sunday just about. And sometimes it's like, what in the world am I even doing? No, I'm serving Jesus. And after I've studied these rewards, this old boy is going to still serve Jesus. Because he knows where my heart is. He knows what's going on. He knows what he's trying to feed. I'm trying to do what he wants. And guess what? I'm going to do it. I preached to Lucky yesterday at the house. As I was going through this, it just and I was walking through my house. Windows were open. If he was driving by, you said, that guy's a nut. Lucky just sat there and looked at me like she understood. She raised a paw one time. and. But she does that when she walks up to you. Once you rub her belly, she'll raise her foot up. So that's, that's her signal to rub my belly. So I, I don't think she was agreeing with what I had to say. But 
But you feel, you know someone who has bitterness towards God. Something happens in life, and the next thing you know, we start asking, why did God let that happen? If he is so loving, I've heard, a matter of fact, I used them before I got saved. If God's so great, why are we dealing with this? I told Sweetie that when she had the seizures when Ryan was born. Here she's telling me God's going to take care of us, and I got tired of listening to it one day, and I said, well, if he's so great, then why are we dealing with what we're dealing with? We're not bad people. I'm serving the people of this nation in a town. What's going on here? But I wasn't serving him. That's what was going on. That's what was happening. But you can have bitterness toward God. You can be a believer, and then next thing you know, you got bitterness toward God because somebody did something you didn't agree with. Doesn't matter whether it was true or not. You know how I know when we don't know whether it matter if it's true or not, when we don't do, when we have odds at one another, and we talk to everybody else but the one we got the problems with, when the Bible clearly states when there's an issue, you sit down together and work it out. And if you can't, you get the elders of the church. And if you can't, you get the church. And if you still can't get to a place of reconciliation, somebody ain't got Jesus and says, leave them alone. That's what I'm talking about. That's what he's talking about. That bitterness can come in. But he says, you're never going to hurt again. Revelation 2 and 12. I might take about 15 minutes. That means 5 after. Or 10 after. Or 15 after. Because if I had done all of these, we'd have been here till 2 o'clock today. So we're going to finish it up next week. Revelation 2 and 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write... These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell. He knows. God knows where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Twice he's talked about them. Twice he said, I hate it. Repent. There we go again. We need to be repenting every day. Amen. Even we might have missed something. We didn't catch it. Lord, I might have missed something. Help me. I need to go the other way if I've been heading the wrong way. Repent. Or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. The doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is the two things he's talking about and they both deal with authority in the church. Now let's see what God has to say about it. Balaam was hired. He was a prophet. Balaam was hired by this evil king, I'm going to do this ad-lib, and Brother Willie, help me if I get off track. He was hired by an evil king to come in and put a curse on the people of Israel. And he said, I ain't doing it. And then he started bargaining with God. He started going back and forth inside of himself. Basically saying, am I for sale or am I not for sale? Am I for sale or am I not for sale? That's the battle that was going on inside of him. And can I tell you this for you, every one of you, receive this. If you have a practice or a price, I promise you this, the devil will meet it. If you have a price over serving God, the devil will meet it. If you have a price 
of standing with God through the thick and the thin, knowing that he's always there, the devil will meet it. Am I for sale or am I not for sale? That's the doctrine he's talking about. You see, you pay tithes into this church and I get a salary that has already been approved. It's recommended from headquarters for the general offices over all the world. Whether we take in a billion dollars or whether we take in a thousand dollars, it's already what it is. And I'm telling you this to say I don't have a price. The day I walked into this church as the minister, I said from then and I say it today, this ain't my pulpit. This ain't my church. You're not my babies to rock and to coddle. You're his. I'm here to manage the property of God and to feed to you the things that God has for you to hear. The word. If I had a price, then I'm not going to tell you, Mr. Big Tithe Payer, this hard message because I know it ain't going to sit well. Now, I've just caught a price for myself. And God says... I need you to do something for me. What is that price that we need to ask ourselves? Is it for fame? Is it for fortune? There's many people who get in the pulpit and they love the fame. They tell more jokes than they do telling about Bible scriptures. They tell more jokes than they do truth. Because they like the laughs. They like the pats on the back. They like to be able to come back and play the club again. Anybody hearing what I'm talking about? You ain't got to agree with it, but brothers and sisters, this is good preaching because it's true. That's exactly what God's talking about. They want to come back and play the club again. That's where the money comes in. That's where the price is. That's where the fame and the fortune. Some people have used a pulpit to be able to a place to go get sex. What is the price? The best thing that we can put on our door is I'm not for sale. I'm not for sale. You see, there were these peoples in the Bible that were called soothsayers. The soothsayer always makes everybody feel good. And if you don't like him, that's my job to keep you apart. Oh, I'm a peacemaker. We pull a piece of scripture out. And we dress it up. I'm a peacemaker. No, these two really need some truth and they need to come together and fix it. Rather than me getting in and being a wedge to keep that from happening, I just want to keep Mrs. Checkbook and Mr. Checkbook happy. That's what he's talking about, the doctrine of Balaam. I'm not for sale. You need to say that. I'm not for sale. Determine that every day. Because he's got a reward for the overcomer. I'm not for sale. This ain't my church. I'm the pastor. And a pastor leads sheep. He don't drive them. You drive goats from behind, you lead sheep from the front. And they might choose to follow and they might not choose to follow, but you do what you can doing what God says to lead the sheep. And we do know the Bible tells us there's going to be some sheep and goats on the judgment day, right? The goats are going to be saying, but Jesus, I did this for you. And he's going to say, who are you again? I don't know who you are. You, you mentioned my name, but I don't know who you are. I never had your life. I never had control of you. You never did anything that I asked you. Why? Your price was too high. That's what he's talking about. The doctrine of Balaam. But then we got the Nicolaitans. Now there are commentaries out there that will tell you this, but this ain't a word. It's not, you know, making money. I'm going to give you the, the breakdown. It came, it came from the word Nikai, which is to control, and Laos, which is the laity. To control the laity. And God hates it. He's done said it twice in this book, in this chapter, which thing I hate. Controlling the laity.
No minister has ever been given the authority to control you. The only one that's supposed to control you is Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. That's it. But the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, they try to control things. If the Nicolaitans would have been around when God had told Moses, lead them over here, but the Nicolaitans would have said, yeah, but there's a body of water over there, and this big army has got weapons, and we have none, is barreling down on us. That's not the right decision to make. The Nicolaitans do that kind of thinking. And when we do that kind of thinking, God don't get to work with what he's wanting to work with. It's to control the laity, which thing God hates. I want to tell you today, my job is not to control you. My job is to lead. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. That's why we're going down and having prayer service next Sunday night at at Faith Christian Academy. We're going to meet up with some other churches down there. We're going to do some praying. They invited us. Now, you don't have to come, and many of you got keys. You're more than welcome to come here, open the doors, and have a service if you want. I'm going, and I'm suggesting to you, if we're going to do prayer service, we can take the bus, we go down there, and we pray with these people. So some of these walls can keep coming down. It's been coming down of God's people. So the the main thing is, is that we can join with people in a place of prayer for those that are on the front lines taking the message, the ones that don't have a price. Can I tell you something? Those guys that are evangelizing, those missionaries that are going into these other countries, they ain't got no price because they don't have anything. Oh, we took up an offering for them and gave them $2,000. That might have to last them the next six months. How's that work for you? They don't have a price. And so that's why we're going to go pray. I prayed about it. I'm telling you as pastor, that's what we should do. As pastor, that's what I'm going to do. But if somebody don't want to, you're more than welcome to have a service here. We, Brother Charlie, he can preach it unless he's going with us. Or Brother whoever. You see what I'm talking about? That's the leadership. But I'm not going to tell you you've got to go and you're going to hell if you don't. It's an opportunity to do what God wants us to do. I'm not going to rule over you. Thus saith the Lord, we either jump on or we don't. That's the difference in having rewards and not having rewards. It's a choice. It's that simple. But, Sister D, would you come and play something real light for me? Never forget this, folks. No minister has ever been given control to control the people of God. Never. Didn't happen then. It ain't happening today. But he says if we overcome, he's going to give us hidden manna. Let her play us a little landing music here. What is the hidden manna? Do we know what manna was? It's what they had in the wilderness. God fed them. Remember, it's spoiled. You eat it today, and don't you gather none for tomorrow. Don't you be storing it up, because when you do, it's going to spoil. You can't eat it tomorrow. You got to eat it today. If it was on Friday, you got two helpings of it because on the Sabbath, which was Saturday, it lasted for two days. If it had to be some kind of high Sabbath, you know, where it was whatever period of time it was, the manna would last for that amount of time. But other than that, it didn't. But he says, I'm going to give you to eat some of the hidden manna. I think it's a 217, Ken, George, whoever. Yeah, 2.17. Revelation 2.17. In the Ark of the Covenant, there's three things. There's the law of Moses, 
which is printed in stone, the original documents by the finger of God inside of this box, the ark. And there was a pot, a gold pot with manna in it. And there was Aaron's rod that budded. To this day, it still has green leaves. I cut a tree down, the leaves die off of it, the twigs break off easy. This was a rod of twig, but it still had green leaves. It still has them today. And he says, if you overcome, I'm going to give you to eat of this manna. You ever wondered what manna was tasting like? If you overcome this doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, then you're going to get some of it. Now, that might apply spiritually too. Jesus said, I am the manna. I am the manna. And this is, here, kid, this is Ken's thoughts. This ain't what's wrote in the Bible. It could be. You know, we always say these things. When I get to heaven, I'm asking God. I've always wondered about this. It could be that that manna is God's going to take somebody who's got some of that, who's one into that place. It's not going to be everybody, but it's going to be some of them. He says, come in here. I want to have a talk with you. You want to know why Uncle Bob had cancer? You prayed and you wondered what was going on? You never did get peace with it, and I really couldn't get it to you, but here's why. You ever know why that, that building fell on all those people, and they were good people? Or those tornadoes came through and they tore it. I was doing a work. He's going to do some revealing to us. He's going to feed us. That's what Ken thinks. If you want to know why horses have four legs, you've got to overcome this so you can get into the place that God can explain this stuff. Jesus is going to set us down and it's going to be a classroom that we're going to love. That's what I think. Either way, can you imagine eating thousands-year-old manna that's in a gold pot and it's kept good? I mean, I can't keep a loaf of bread more than three or four days till it ain't right. But this has lasted. It's supernatural. Something's going on because the presence of God is there. And that's what he's talking about. And he said he's going to give us a white stone. A white stone. I don't know what it's going to look like. It just says a white stone. But in the Greeks, old Greek times, they had these stones kind of like we would wear an entry badge to get into a place right now. You know, if you go to the airport in Delta Sky Miles or it's Delta Club, you pull the little card out, I'm a member, they let you come in, you sit down in comfortable chairs, air conditioned away from all the other stuff and you get to sit in there and watch the ball game or whatever until your plane comes it's a club it's kind of like an all inclusive vacation you know you pay one dollar these cruises are big for that give me your money and we're going to feed you you don't have to pull your wallet out again when you get on the boat it's kind of like that that gains you access into the private places of heaven not everybody's going to get to go there because not everybody's going to overcome They'll be in heaven. They'll be saved. But they don't get this. You understand? Maybe it's going to be in the libraries of heaven. We're going to sit down and read what's in all the books. About what God did on this day and why he did it. That's what he might show us. But also, he's going to put a new name on it, which no man knows except him who received it. I'm notorious for nicknames. If I haven't called you a nickname, I don't got one for you, but Megan, she's Pete. If she ever gets in trouble and somebody says, hey, Pete, she knows daddy's there hollering for her. There's nobody else is going to call her that. Sweetie, well, everybody calls Sweetie, Sweetie, but I stuck a nickname on her right when we, not long after we started courting but she is so sweet. She is so sweet. And it's fitting. 
Ryan, I call him Bub. I call Charlie Chuck. Nobody else calls you Chuck, do they? So if somebody says, hey, Chuck, and if I'm supposed to be in that area, he's turning around because he knows Ken's hollering for him. I don't know why I do that. Maybe it's a Jesus thing. But he's going to give, if you overcome this, a new name. He'll give you a new name. Jesse Cuh. Nobody else calls you Jesse Cuh, do they? That's what he's going to do. And it's going to be like this. Jesus comes into the room, and ain't nobody else got this name. You're the only one that's got it. And maybe he comes walking into the church service, and he walks by. Come on, Jesse Cuh. That is special. Jesse, I ain't got nothing special with your wife. I'm making a point here. That's special. That's kind of a sort of intimacy with God. Ain't nobody else got that name. All the people that's going to be in heaven are going to have different names that you're going to receive if you overcome. That's what we're working for, folks. That's what we're shooting for. The doctrine of the Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans got to overcome. We got to repent. Church, we got to repent. But ain't it something to look forward to? We get to heaven and we get to sit down and have the conversation with Jesus about why or what if or why did this happen? We get to have it with him and we get a special name, a pet name. When he walks into the room, he's going to say our name and we're going to, we're just going to melt. You know how it is, you watch these kids in sports arenas and these guys walk in, you know, the basketball players, the football players, movie stars, whoever. You know, can I have your order? What's your name? They write your name down and say, good luck or whatever. And, you know, people just mailed over that. They used to pass out when Elvis did it. Just flew, huh? Elvis ain't got nothing on Jesus. That's what we're talking about this morning. And I hope this is helping you. This is helping me. So we're going to sing a song this morning that's a special song to me. And I asked these guys if they would do it, and they said they would. If you want to pray about something this morning, you're more than welcome to come, and you can seek and we'll pray with you. But if you don't, I want you to know how much you mean to the Lord. You're sitting here today most probably because you're saved. You might just be seeking, but... He is drawing you in. You heard this message today because he's drawing you in. So we're going to sing this song. Y'all stand to your feet and sing it with us because we're going to give him some glory.